for the last few months, we've been walking through the Lord's Prayer, and uh, this, this morning we bring at least this portion of the series to a close. You've noticed in the graphic, it's the Lord's Prayer and Praise. There will be two more Sundays oriented on praise that are not just afterthoughts, that are intricately, intricately uh, connected to what we've been talking about, because half of the Lord's Prayer is praise-oriented. But um, focusing on the Lord's Prayer, the words that Jesus taught His disciples, we're going to wrap up today um, with a, a brief summary, and then um, a chance to interact over some question and answer, some Q&A, as we do every now and then. Let's read. Matthew chapter 6, listen carefully. These are God's words. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Let's pray. Again, Lord, take these words that are familiar to many, cause them to impact us freshly, more deeply. Lord, draw us into more intimate relationship with you, children to Father, just as Jesus taught us, we ask in His name. Amen. We started this series by talking about how much we need this kind of focus. And it's because we don't pray enough, individually or as a community. That's not about calendar, I don't think. We might come up with those explanations, but it's not that we don't have enough opportunities for prayer. It's not that the times for prayer are inconvenient. It's not even that life is so busy, life and work and ministry and family are so busy that we don't have time for prayer. The root cause of prayerlessness is a spiritual gap between what we believe, what we say we believe, and what we, how we act, how we behave. Or on this side of the equation, uh, the root cause of prayerlessness is something wrong, something awry with what we say we believe and how that's impacting how we act. The German monk and church reformer Martin Luther centuries ago said this, trouble touches the heart and wakens ardent longing for God's help. No one prays for anything deeply who has not been deeply alarmed. I don't think many of us are deeply alarmed enough at the sin within us. I don't think as a community we're deeply alarmed enough at the breakdown of the family at the decay of culture and society all around us, at the lack of discipleship that happens in our own homes with our own children, or at um, biblical illiteracy within the walls of the church. The more you go along with the flow of the world around you, the less likely you are to pray. You don't notice that things are falling apart. You don't notice what's alarming, like the frog in the kettle uh, you, you don't call 911 because you don't even realize that death is at work and is going to get you. So the sermon series on the prayer that Jesus taught His disciples is not the cure-all. It's not a silver bullet. There's a lot of work to be done that has to do with our core relationship of faith with God Himself. But my hope has been, my prayer has been that this is one more stimulating uh, factor to lead us to long for more of what God alone can provide. Um, 
summary is going to come under three headings, just to look at this a little bit differently than we have. First, intimacy and awe. Intimacy and awe. The words uh, that start the prayer are our Father, and, and that kind of intimacy to call the creator of the universe Father is not a light thing. But Hebrews chapter 10 um, not only tells us that we have access to heaven's throne room, it says that we are invited to draw near to God in confidence with full assurance. Hebrews 10 verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is His body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. There's temple imagery here because the temple represented God's presence among His people. And there was limited access, but now in light of Jesus coming and dying and rising again, that access is freely given to anyone who trusts in what He has done on the cross as personally relevant to deal with sin's deadly consequences. But then Jesus points us in the prayer to the one who exists in a heavenly dimension, whose name is to be exalted above all else, to, de- to be declared holy. I-, I shared this early in the series. Do you know why your heart is unsettled? Do you know why anxiety afflicts you? Why so often life seems to overwhelm you? It's not because you need some fix to this or that situation. It's because you, your heart needs to be recalibrated by praise. I gave this diagnostic homework. Go home and spend five to ten minutes in prayer but focus entirely on adoring God, praising Him for who He is, not for what He's done, um, but for who He is. And if you find that it is so difficult for you to make three consecutive statements about who God is in praise, then you've learned something incredibly important to your spiritual life, to your life of faith. And that lesson is you don't really know God nearly well enough to have a relationship of intimacy with Him. You don't know the uniqueness of your King enough to hallow His name above all else. I ask this, what is it that you adore or hallow? Whatever it is, you find it so easy to overflow to other people in great detail with great passion about the thing or about the person. And underneath that is an important dynamic to consider that the more you give time and attention to that something, the more you're training your heart to love it more and more deeply. So wrongly directed hallowing is a different way of describing the very sin of idolatry, which is putting anything or anyone in the place that God alone deserves to have because He is most excellent, most beautiful, most worthy to be praised. And so Uh, If sin is singing out of tune, then praise, which is the melody of adoration, is what our hearts were created to do and to enjoy. Secondly, dependence is uh, a category. Asking for daily bread is a prayer that expresses desire. But later on in Matthew chapter 6, what we find is Jesus telling His disciples, so do not worry, uh, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? 
Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. We asked, so which is it? Ask for daily bread or trust that the Father knows everything that we need and He will provide what is best without our even asking. Um, we, we're saying that this first half of the Lord's Prayer um, recalibrates our hearts to the perfect heart of the Father. It aligns us. And so this line, asking for daily bread, submits our desires to God so that our desires can be corrected, so that they can be realigned with the perfect heart of a perfect Father. And that idea um, speaks to the question of why pray if God is in control. Part of the answer has to do with the reshaping of our hearts. Um, If you're praying and you're not getting the answer you want, either God can't deliver because He's powerless to do it or because He doesn't care, or perhaps it's because your heart is not properly aligned to desire the right things, to ask with the right motives. Asking for daily bread is a reminder of the dependence that lies at the heart of following Christ. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, we won't look into the details, but the people of Israel are at the cusp of the, entering the promised land, and the Lord would have them uh, learn this lesson before they uh, enter. Um, he wants them not to forget what they have experienced in suffering through the wilderness. And so he basically says, in suffering, looking back, do you see that I am your deliverance and worthy of all trust? And when you prosper, because you will, will you remember that the salvation I provided from slavery makes all of it possible? Asking God for daily bread is a reminder that He provided manna, bread from heaven, to sustain His people as they wandered through the desert, and they would have starved otherwise. It was life-giving. And asking God for daily bread is ultimately a pointer to Jesus Himself, who is bread from heaven, who says, I am the bread of life. I ask this lastly in this section, how do we get invited to the feast to end all feasts? How do we access the full riches of God's kingdom and satisfy our deepest hungers and our deepest thirsts? The simple answer is that you come to Jesus and you see that He has and He is all that you need. You believe in Him, you trust in Him, you find satisfaction in His substitute death in your place and His victory over death by rising from the grave. Lastly, true need, our third category. And and this gets to the last few messages, which hopefully if you've been around is the easiest to remember, so I'll go light here. What the Father knows we most need is not stuff, It's not the fixing of circumstance. It is the most significant stuff of forgiveness and deliverance. His perfect love and His absolute authority mean that we owe Him, as creatures, universally true, a debt of ultimate loyalty and obedience and love. He's worthy of that. But sin's rebellion in us means that we have done just the exact opposite. So what hope is there? The only solution to this highest debt that we've incurred before the judge is the substitute sacrifice of the Son. Forgiven sinners 
uh, forgiving sinners on God's part requires condemning the sinless one who is His Son. And then we said debt-forgiven people naturally demonstrate that their lives have been changed by overflowing to other people and extending forgiveness horizontally. We also need uh, deliverance from temptation and evil. God tests, we said. He doesn't tempt. He doesn't dangle sin baits in front of us um, thinking that He might catch us. It's the desires of our hearts that often cause us to yield to temptation, to fail the test. So how do you pass the test? Not by trying harder, not by just being a good person. You pass only by faith in the one who prayed to his Father along the lines as he taught his disciples to pray. He prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, um, let uh, your will be done. And he had first prayed that this cup would be taken away, that this, this justice of wrath would not have to be poured out on him in the hell of the cross. And you and I pass if we trust in Jesus because as He prayed to the Father, asking for deliverance from temptation, the Father's answer was a clear and resounding no. I will not deliver you from temptation. In fact, I will deliver you over to temptation and ultimate testing. And no, I will not deliver you from evil or the evil one himself. I will deliver you over to evil, purest evil that you might deliver our people. Jesus passed, and He offers you, and He offers me, His power over sin and temptation, and trusting Him is the only means of making possible everything that our hearts desire. Let's pray. Let's say this prayer as one people one more time, and then let's talk. Father, You've given us these words. They're not a formula but they guide us according to your heart. Again, make them fresh as we pray in the words Jesus taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, we're going to have a couple of microphones being passed around. Uh, thank you, Donald. Please wait for the microphone uh, to be uh, given to you, and then uh, ask a question. We're, we're trying to replicate some of uh, the dialogue, dialogical manner in which Jesus taught His disciples, and likely the Sermon on the Mount in which the Lord's Prayer is located here in Matthew was dialogical with followers asking uh, Jesus questions. And so... Um, it's on a Lord's Supper Sunday. We don't have that much time, but um, any questions? It usually takes a while to break the ice. Who's, there's a question over here. Morning, Pastor Peter. My Morning. question is, um, oh, I have to stand? My bad. You don't have to. <laughs> I'm, all right, I'm going to sit down. Okay. <laughs> Where's the line between um, where's the line between having to depend on God for what you need, mm-hmm. um, as the word says it, and the line between having to put your hands to the plow, like when you have bills, yeah, your girl screaming at you, 
and God's sovereignty and grace and love. Where is that line? Yeah, that's great. That's great. And, you know, God's Word is, isn't um, typically going to offer us the line, right? Like a billboard on Route 4 to say, here it is, um, do this and not that. Um, and and our, as a follower of Christ, I, I would say this is general to growing in Christ, sanctification, spiritual growth, and not specific to your question. Um, but the general way I'd approach that um, question first is we need to know our own hearts. And the best way to do that is to spend enough time with mature followers of Christ and ask questions. What do you think of me? What are my weaknesses? What are my tendencies? Where, where do you see me falling off the wagon, to the left or to the right? Okay? And the left might be legalism. I, uh, I, I try too hard to be in control, and I worry about what God thinks of me, and I'm all about the rules and the checklists, or, um, you know, too much freedom. I'm forgiven, and it doesn't matter what I do. What, you, you need to know yourself, and the best way to know yourself is to ask people around you who are going to tell you the truth, love you enough to tell you the truth, um, to first figure out, okay, if I fall off, I usually fall off this way, okay? So, I, I need correcting. So, um, let me tie into John Chung's children's message, okay? And you weren't talking about um, medicine in terms of um, the way God reveals Himself to the world, but I think he alluded to it, okay? Here would be an example. Do you trust in the antibiotics, um, or do you trust that the power of prayer is going to heal you, okay? And the answer is yes, both. It's not, there's not a line in these situations, take the antibiotics, in these situations, trust God, Okay? The question is, knowing yourself, do I live in a worldly sphere so much that I don't even think of praying? I think of calling a doctor and going to CVS, okay? And, and, and if I'm honest, I, I too often fall off the horse that way. I'm thinking of the humanly contrived ways to manage the situation, um, whereas what I should do is immediately realize that my health, my life are always in the hands of my Creator, and yes, God, you've, you've enabled humanity to discover miraculous things, to um, aid the, the, the complexity of the human body in fighting off infection, for example. So I should do both. I should be praying as I drive to the doctor, Lord, make me whole, but I, and, I, you know, and I should be praying as I pop that pill just as the doctor prescribed because I do have a confirmed infection, not either or, but both and. Okay. Other examples, like you've alluded to, um, maybe become more complex. You know, um, I need a new job because I can't pay my bills with this current one, or I don't have one. You know, on one hand, Paul writes in Second Thessalonians, "If a brother does not work, he shall not eat." Okay, so you might have this on one side of the spectrum. A, um, I'll call it a lazy person who says God's going to provide, and God says, "I'm going to provide once you get that job and earn that paycheck." You know, so um, do we place all of our hope, all of our security, all of our ability to um, provide in a job, in education, in um, skill and in interviewing, in experience? Not at all. The resume is just a piece of paper, okay? Um, but do I just trust God to plop something into my lap and provide? No. He uses what we call secondary means. Okay. A primary means is bread falling from the sky. It comes right from Him. Secondary means is 
uh, he enables you to get a good um, education and find a good job and earn a good living. That's secondary, right? Is God outside of that? No. And if we live in light of um, the spiritual realm and not just the material, I think those, those lines begin to, in a healthy way, blur. And we don't think of uh, life in sort of black and white as much. Hope that helps. Other question? <clears throat> Over here, faith. Is that faith? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yes, uh, Pastor Pete, um, just wanted to ask you if Jesus was God, right? Why did he have to pray, you know, so earnestly? Yeah, great question. If Jesus was God, which he was, he is, um, you know, the Nicene Creed, which we don't recite very often here, is very focused from um, the ancient church on affirming that uh, the Son is of the same substance as the Father. He is no less divine. He is no less God, okay? So, God, that, that's why I, I very often like to refer to um, the Son as God the Son, because when we hear Son, we, tempt, we tend to just put that into our natural family kind of relationship, and the Son is not the Father, the son is a different person. The son has a different status, depending on whether, you know, the son is three years old or, or not. Um, but God the Son and God the Father and God the Holy Spirit, equally divine. Why does he have to pray? I think that gives us an important lesson in prayer, which is not, I don't know and I need you to tell me. That is true for us because we're finite, okay, is, um, is not... Um, I have something that you need to fix, and so I'm submitting my ticket. That, that's the, the, the uh, metaphor that I used in that sermon. You know, I'm, I'm at the deli counter, and I have my number, and I'm going to put my order in in prayer. Um, is that true that we ask God for things like daily bread? Absolutely, but I think we go overboard. So the, fa- the very fact that Jesus prays to the Father um, and finds it urgently necessary he doesn't just do it like for show, right? He disappears before dawn and his disciples go looking for him. Where are you? Where were you? I had to pray, okay? Um, so it, it, I think it shows us something critical to the nature of prayer that our tendencies tend to skip over, which is it's not all about getting something. It's not all about God fixing something. It's, a, it's primarily about us cultivating this intimate relationship of son or daughter to the, the king of the universe, okay? And I think that if we, if we allow that space in our lives, in our minds, and our hearts, I think it begins to touch on some other dilemmas, like what happens when it doesn't seem like God's listening, okay? Um, do we think that because the circumstance we want Him to fix hasn't changed, okay? So, so that, that needs overhauling, that approach to prayer, um, Whereas Jesus was divine, He could have accomplished whatever He wanted, but He instead chose to yield Himself in dependent relationship to the Father. Why do we think we are above that? And so as we sit at the, foot of, uh, sit at the feet of the Father, we, we might wish that we heard audible answers, you know? Um, most often when Jesus prays, the Scriptures don't tell us He heard anything. I, hopefully that 
comforts you because, you know, when, when you want an answer. Garden of Gethsemane, we pointed to um, in the last few messages, you know, um, Father, take this cup from me, yet not my will but yours be done. What is he doing? He's being honest in relationship. This terrifies me, but I'm affirming in prayer that I am exactly where I need to be in dependence upon you, Father, and you will see that nothing is lost on the sake on the part of your child, okay? So, um, you know, I, I think I could go on and on on that, but I'll, I'll, I'll try to stop there. Um, hopefully, uh, just a glimpse of why I think Jesus modeled prayer, not just as an example, but because He needed to connect His heart to the Father's. Thanks, Faith. Adam, um, hold on, Adam. Um, you, you were asking questions before, so let me just give anyone else a chance, okay? Weren't you in first service? Oh, okay. Um, you're following me. No. Uh, was, there, was there a hand back here? All right, I thought there was. So go ahead, Adam. That's not the way I'd want to be forgiven because I'm not very forgiving. Right, right. What's your thoughts on that? Yes, yeah. So um, that, that element of the prayer is the only section when we talked about forgive us our debts, you know, uh, we read, I read the f- verses 14 and 15 in Matthew 6, which are, an, we could call it an addendum only because we don't pray that part, okay? Um, it's commentary in two verses worth and strong commentary on one thought in the whole prayer. And so, it causes us to, um, you know, take note of why Jesus sees the need to go into more detail here, okay? Um, first of all, I would say, and I'm not saying you're saying this, Adam, but if, if we think... Um, the, the way I'm forgiven is dependent on the way I forgive others. We have it backwards, okay? Because the only source of power that any of us ever have to forgive another sinner who has wronged us is that we know we have been forgiven already, okay? So, when, when I'm counseling two non-Christians who are married, whole different story than when I'm counseling two believers, okay? Um, in the language I'm going to use and the assumptions I'm going to make about what is possible for them. Because if you do not know that you have transgressed the Holy One of this universe, the Creator Himself, in an unpayable debt, you have incurred something that could never be paid back. If you know that you have been utterly washed clean, that was a pretty cool trick that John did, um, made whiter than, white as snow, that has to change you from the inside. And it has to overflow, even if in a trickle, but then if there's spiritual growth in a stream and then in the flood, to other people in your willingness to forgive. Because if you live daily in light of the fact that you have wronged the Holy One um, of Israel, and yet He's forgiven... How can you then turn around and, for, uh, and, and remain in hard-hearted unforgiveness of someone who has transgressed you little? That's the nature of the parable of the unmerciful ser- uh, servants. Um, later on in Matthew 20, I believe, um, Matthew 18, uh, there's, a, there's a, a person who owes the king 
and will con- you know, make it contemporary, millions of dollars. He's an average worker. He could never repay it, even if he worked you know, 80 hours a week, okay? Um, but the king forgives the debt. You're free to go. The, the balance is not negative, it's zero. On his way home, he finds a friend who owns him a few bucks. And he says, if you don't pay me back, I'm going to have you thrown in jail. And the guy asks for mercy, and he refuses. The first guy refuses, and he has his friend thrown in jail. And what's the point of the story? Um, if you find it so impossible to extend a modicum of forgiveness and mercy to other people, it shows, this is what verses 14 and 15 of verse, uh, chapter 6 are telling us, it shows that you have not fully grasped the, the, the condition of your heart as a sinner in the face of a holy God. It suggests that you say, thank you for forgiveness, thank you very much, and I'm going to, um, you know, I got what I needed, get out of jail free card, and I'm going to proceed with my life, rather than a, how can I be forgiven? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. That amazement is the only power that can overflow to say, yeah, um, that really hurt, but as a forgiven person, it's only natural that I work hard at forgiving others. It doesn't come naturally, to me at least. Um, it's not easy, but that's what we're called to do. And it doesn't mean that if you have a stretch of unforgiveness, if you can't forgive Han for two weeks for something she said to you that was um, disrespectful, it doesn't mean suddenly you've lost your forgiveness because um, lost your salvation because you haven't forgiven and therefore the Father is going to unforgive you. It's the question is, is there a pattern? Is there any hint of spiritual fruit that comes from knowing that you've been deeply forgiven that over time enables you to begin to extend um, more forgiveness to another person? Okay? So, the vertical is the model for the horizontal. Um, but the horizontal becomes a key indicator, Jesus is saying, of whether the vertical, our faith in God, our trust in the gospel, really is rooted in the right um, foundation. Okay, one last one I think we have time for. Is there one? Oh, Chin, thanks. Um, well, Angelina has a question now. <laughs> okay, great. She asked, um, how do we know that um, God just existed by himself? It's just hard to believe that. It is. It is. And Angelina, every adult ends up, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, we end up thinking that at some time. And there's no way I can prove it to you by drawing on the, on the chalkboard. There's nothing I can tell you that's just going to make that wondering question go away. But I would say uh, a lot of people become confident that God exists by praying to Him, by reading His Bible, by talking about Him with other people. And you're going to hear a lot of messages as you get older. Some people are going to tell you God does not exist. And the only way you're going to No, that's not true, is in your heart, okay? Um, So much of the world, I think, only makes sense if God exists. And I think it would be um, a lot crazier to imagine a world with everything 
that is so amazing, like our human bodies, um, and think that it was random. That um, if I, I think it's it's even more impossible to imagine a world that is so complicated that doesn't have a creator behind it. So I hope that helps a little bit. All right, let me close this in prayer and uh, transition us to our offertory. Father, thank you for an opportunity to reflect together on um, mystery. There's mystery about your existence. There's mystery about prayer. But you've disclosed sufficient truth to us through your word. You've given it to your church. We treasure it because it points us back to you. We praise you in Jesus' name.